Welcome to the Masterful Coach Podcast with Molly Claire, where coaches learn skill mastery, business mastery, and life mastery at a whole new level. If you're ready to create a meaningful coaching business that makes a difference, you're in the right place. And now your host, Master Coach Instructor, Molly Claire. Hey coach, we've got an awesome interview for you today. I've got Jen Taylor that I'm speaking with, who is a trauma therapist and much, much more. You're going to love her insights. I know that as coaches, it can be tricky when you come across a client that has some trauma issues going on, or maybe you're curious if there may be some trauma going on. So Jen is going to share some insights about what to watch for and also how as a coach, you can complement the work that a client may be doing with a trauma therapist. So such an awesome interview. I love Jen. You're going to love it. Let's dive right in. Okay, everyone. I am so excited about our guest today. We have Jen Taylor here, who is a trauma therapist and coach, and she is amazing. Hello, Jen. Hi, Molly. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, so nice to have you. I had Jen in our mastermind in the coaching collective talking with our coaches there, and it was just so phenomenal. And so I wanted to have her here. I know that for all of you as coaches, you come up against things with your clients where you feel a little stuck. And um, maybe you're wondering, does this person need a therapist? And sometimes we don't really know how to handle some of the emotions that come up for our clients. And so of course, on this podcast, as I'm helping you to be able to feel more capable as a coach, I want to bring in the best experts. So of course, I've got Jen. <laughs> Thanks. So here yeah. we go. So Jen, before we get started, um, tell us a little bit about you and your business and what you're most passionate about. Yeah. So my name is Jen Taylor. I am a somatic therapist and trauma therapist in Boulder, Colorado. And I work with clients of all ages who have experienced trauma. So from as young as two to three, all the way up to 70 plus. And because of that, I am trained in a bunch of different modalities because not every tool is the perfect fit for the person, the client, the nervous system in front of me. So I'm a sensory motor psychotherapist, which is a somatically based treatment for trauma. I'm trained in EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I'm a certified synergetic play therapist, and I'm also a ketamine assisted psychotherapist. I'm also a life coach and a graduate of the life coach school. And with that hat, I teach coaches how to implement somatic tools and practices into their work with clients. So I'm kind of passionate about kind of combining the two fields um, and also teaching this work and making it more accessible to more people. Yes. Oh, I love it. And I think, and Jen, of course, we met through the Life Coach School, which was such a fun connection to have. And um, so tell me, you were saying that in, in the coaching realm, you actually work with coaches, helping them to be able to incorporate the somatic work with their coaching. Yeah. So really somatic interventions can be an addition to any practice. Um, so with coaches and therapists, I teach somatic tools and interventions to kind of help them dive a little bit deeper. If they're feeling a little bit stuck, it's a way to help implement and kind of take their coaching or even their therapy to the next level. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And I think one thing that Jen said that I, I want to just like point out to the coaches listening is that you said not every tool is the right one for any one client. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's really important that we are working organically and intuitively and we're meeting the needs of the client in front of us. And so some tools work really great for some people, for some nervous systems, for some brains and other tools work better. So I kind of think of it like I have a tray of paintbrushes and colors and they get to choose the tools that they use to paint on their canvas. And so the more tools that I have, um, the more likely we're going to find the right fit for that person. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love it. And I'm excited for you to tell more about your expertise here. And also just take a minute, like the coaches, for you coaches listening, remember that because I know as a coach, you have a lot of tools there. And I hear from coaches all the time, what's the right way to use this? What's the best tool in each situation? And I think just remembering to take into account like being present with the client in front of you, what are their needs and experimenting as well with what works for any one client, I think just makes you so much more masterful and powerful with your clients. So I love that you brought that up, Jen. Yeah. And I think that that brings me to a really, or I think you highlighted a really important point that what I often tell therapists and coaches is that you are actually the most important tool in their relationship, mm-hmm. right? So the science and the research has actually shown that such a large percentage, like upwards of 70 plus percent of the therapeutic or coaching relationship for change to happen. It's actually that safe, attuned connection with the coach, with the therapist. And then all of the interventions that we use are beautiful and they're helpful and they're evidence-based, but they're actually secondary. So this relationship that we cultivate with our clients is actually primary um, and first and foremost. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so true. Just a couple of weeks ago, I actually did a a free class about this very thing, helping the coaches create good connection and relationship with their clients. Because when you have that, it's like, then every, then everything can really work for the client. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think we can, especially as new therapists or coaches, like underestimate or undervalue the importance of that relationship. And really it is everything. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Such a good thing to remember. Okay, so one thing I wanted to ask you for the coaches listening here that obviously are not trained in trauma, Mm -hmm. what do you advise that coaches look for as they're recognizing trauma in their clients or maybe something that's outside of their wheelhouse? Yeah, so I'm wondering if it'd be helpful to briefly identify what trauma is. Would that feel helpful? Yeah, that would be great. Sure. So at its core, trauma is really an an unintegrated stress. So it's a real or perceived life threat or emotional threat that was really overwhelming to the nervous system at the time of the event. So our nervous system kicks on, we get this really big arousal response, and we employ these subcortical below the thinking brain, below the cortex, adaptive and defensive strategies to try to fight off and manage the intensity or the overwhelm. If we can't fight or flee from the trauma or from the overwhelming event, then we will actually have arousal that plummets and we'll go into this collapse state. So you see this in people, you see this in the animal kingdom. We all have these different responses to how we deal with trauma and nervous system in in our body. So I think the important part here is the overwhelm of the nervous system. So the way I like to conceptualize trauma is to think about a funnel and holding a funnel underneath a faucet. So in our normal day-to-day life, we turn on the faucet, we turn on the water. It's a slow, steady stream. We can integrate 
um, the external stimuli, the internal stimuli, we can integrate what's happening in our experience. With trauma, the funnel goes under the sink and all the faucets get turned on and full blast. And it's really overwhelming. So we can't make sense of our experience. We can't integrate the experience, both the internal, so our overwhelm or panic, um, our, our cortisol response, and also the external stimulus, the things we didn't have control over. The big part about trauma is really our belief of whether or not we have agency over what happened. So if we believe we were powerless, helpless, or out of control, the more we believe those things, the more traumatic we're going to perceive that event to be. So with trauma, the prefrontal cortex, our logic, thinking, problem-solving part of our brain goes offline, and these subcortical defensive responses take over. So how do we recognize trauma in our clients? Right. So I kind of refer to this as the survival brain hijacking. Are our clients being hijacked by their emotional response? Are they having high stress responses? Is there a lot of impulsive actions? Are they feeling out of control? Are they acting out in ways that don't feel in alignment with how they want to act? Are there ways of anxiety or panic attacks? Um, are they in a state of regulation where they can think and problem solve and connect with people, or are they in a state of dysregulation where it's actually really hard for them to calm back down? Trauma presents as symptoms. And I think that's what I really want coaches and therapists to understand is that rarely, unless you work in the trauma field, rarely do you have a client come in and say, here's my trauma history. What they mm -hmm. say is I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with depression. I'm str struggling with this physical symptom. I'm struggling with this behavior that I want to change. And that's when I start to have um, some curiosity around maybe is there a trauma history? So trauma can show up in cognitions. So there can be ruminations, flashbacks, nightmares, hard time concentrating, a hard time thinking straight, impaired judgment. Sometimes people will minimize what happened to them. Like, oh yeah, that was in the past. It wasn't that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. um, trauma can show up in emotional responses. So panic, fear, rage, anger, helplessness, overwhelm. It can show up physically in the body, right? So trauma first and foremost impacts our body. So it could show up as chronic tension, uh, chronic digestive issues, other physical symptoms like chronic pain, autoimmune disease, sexual dysfunction, high startle responses, mood swings, inflammation, and then it can show up as behaviors. So avoidance behaviors, withdrawal, isolation, anger behaviors, diminished activity, what we call ADLs in the therapy world activities of daily life. So diminished pleasure in what people used to like to do. So that's kind of what I recommend people start to screen for when they meet with clients. And, and as they're getting started is trauma showing up as symptoms and how do their clients respond to stress? Mm -hmm. I think all of us can relate to times where we feel like we may not have the best handle on our emotions, right? Or we kind yeah. of lose our temper or we're frustrated or whatever. And of course, as coaches, we help people to understand that they can take ownership of their emotions and of course, shift that trajectory. But what is the difference between a, you know, quote unquote, normal sense of like sometimes feeling out of control or our, of our emotions or feeling really upset or down or having some of that in the, you know, whatever would be called the normal realm versus people really having trauma responses that are interfering in their life regularly. Yeah. I think that's such an important point, you know, that we operate on a continuum and on, on a spectrum. Right. Mm -hmm. And really what I say is that, you know, 
the Dalai Lama himself, right? Any guru out there can have moments of dysregulation. It's not that we have dysregulation. It's how quickly do we come back to a state of optimal arousal? How quickly can we find our way back? So it's totally normal to pop up into the sympathetic, to this high arousal or down into that um, parasympathetic, you know, mm-hmm. shut down, overwhelm response. But how do we find our way back and where are we operating primarily throughout our life? Mm-hmm. And especially how do we operate during stressful responses? And do we feel like we have some control and really some sense of agency Or do we feel out of control and really powerless and overwhelmed and shut down in the face of some of those emotions? Mm, Yeah, I I love that the way that you put that. And it's, it's so, I think, useful to think about that and notice kind of thinking about it on a spectrum, right? It's not, oh, it's either there or it's not. But right. understanding, yeah, the spectrum of regulation and and how that looks. And one thing that made me think about is I remember working with a client that did have some trauma come up for her, and it, it was almost like it was this hot spotlight on all this trauma that came up that she didn't really realize was there. And as we work together, you know, I, I recommended that she did work with someone, um, a trauma therapist with EMDR. And so she was doing that. And we were simultaneously kind of holding space for her within the thought work, right? Her thoughts about everything going on and processing some of that. So we had this collaborative approach going. And I want to talk more about that. But my question specifically with this is, do you find that to be the case sometimes where sometimes maybe this trauma can almost be dormant or not there? And then as they have new situations or circumstances in their life, it almost like brings it all up and it's more at the surface for people. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I think there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but I know we need, we need way more time on this, right? I'm like, you're giving so much good information. I'm like, I feel like we should be teaching like a day long seminar or something here. Yeah. I mean, really this, uh, you know, I'm in a three year trauma training, so there's Mm -hmm. so much here. And so I do want to to say that too, like a lot of this is very bird's eye view right now. Right. And I think that this is a very important point. So again, because trauma is not really as stored in the prefrontal cortex and is actually stored in some of these subcortical regions, trauma isn't stored as a memory so much as it's stored as a somatic, like visceral response and an emotional response. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we're not actually even aware that we are operating from this kind of trauma brain or this more adaptive subcortical brain, Mm -hmm. Um, especially trauma that happened really early in childhood, right? Mm -hmm. We actually, our our thinking brain, our logical cortex wasn't online. And so we actually store them in these behaviors and our dispositions and our way of seeing the world, our way of behaving in the world. And what can happen is we start to do this thought work as we start to become mindful of our thoughts and of our emotions, of our sensations, of our behavior, right? It can open up to some of these memories and it can feel really overwhelming. Or I like that you use the word hot because that is a very sympathetic, um, you know, when we go up into the stress response, it can feel hot and stingy and sticky and mm-hmm. um, overwhelming. And so I think it's really beautiful that you can collaborate with a trauma therapist and also do the coaching at the same time. But yes, that mm-hmm. definitely happens. The other piece I want to mention here is that you actually don't even need the memory of trauma to do trauma processing. So I work mm-hmm. with kids as young as two or three that have experienced 
trauma. And we don't work through words. We don't work through narrative. We work through play and movement and regulation. So I think the beautiful part is for clients who don't want to tell their story or actually don't have a verbal narrative of what happened. They actually have just a felt sense narrative. Mm -hmm. Uh, The words aren't actually important. So there's, there's all kinds of ways that we can help clients work with whatever's coming up for them. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to this idea I love that you gave kind of this overview of trauma and what it is. If you were to just maybe list out maybe five things that coaches may look out for, for example, like you said, sort of recovery time from some of these emotions and some of those other things, what would be some of those main things to that would be sort of red flags for coaches that there is maybe some more trauma there? Any kind of behavior that is feeling really stuck or unable to change. So any kind of addiction um, that could be to a substance, that could be to a behavior, that could be to disordered eating. I love Gabor Mate's quote. He says, don't ask why the addiction, why the pain. And what we know now is that a lot of times in addiction, there's some underlying unprocessed trauma. Mm -hmm. I would be looking for physical manifestations of that, other kinds of diagnoses like anxiety, depression, not, not always is there a trauma there, but there can be. Um, I would look for how clients respond during times of stress. Like you can even say, tell me the last time you felt really stressed, really overwhelmed. Um, how long did it last? Right. So we're looking like, how long does it take for them to come back to a baseline and what do they do during those high stress periods? Do they overeat? Do they self-harm in some way, shape or form? Do they shut down? Do they isolate? Do they collapse? Right. So anything that feels really extreme, that can be a red flag. I also am curious about adverse childhood experiences. So the ACE study, anything that was really impactful in childhood. So a death of a parent, someone who was incarcerated, like sickness, illness, domestic Mm -hmm. violence, physical violence, anything like that, that happened early on, because we know that that impacts the developing brain. And we know that it has cognitive, emotional impacts later on. Yeah. And really in how the body presents. So is there rigidity? Uh, Do they present in a lot of arousal? So wide eyes, fast speech, fast movement. Do they have a hard time slowing down, taking a deep breath? Or conversely, do they actually have a hard time mobilizing? Are they slow? Are they low? Are they heavy? Anytime we're really looking um, more broadly, are they continuing to show up this way? And then I start to get curious. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's really helpful just to kind of have those, some parameters around some basic things to look for, because I think, you know, there could be a lot of things that may be interpreted as that, or a lot of coaches may, I think both, right. We could either minimize the trauma responses or also take what's maybe a quote unquote normal level of worry or anxiety or whatever, and, and think that it's bigger than it is. So I think it could go either way. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the important thing is we're not the experts here. Our clients are the experts on themselves and on their emotions and their responses. So really it's this co-collaboration of like, oh, I'm noticing this. How does this show up in your life? What do you think about this? How does this impacting? And it's really the impact. And is it impacting their day-to-day life in a way that feels overwhelming to them? And so I think, you know, really relying on them being the experts and having this own 
internal knowing can also be really helpful and take some of the pressure off of us as clinicians. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love this. So, so my next question that I would love to talk through is, I mean, when or how do you recommend that coaches would collaborate with a trauma specialist? Because I know you and I have talked about how both are useful and that collaboration can be there. What's your recommendation about that? Yeah. So I think collaboration is beautiful. And if something comes up, if you're starting to expect trauma or suspect trauma, if the client is having memories that related to a trauma, if it's starting to feel like it's outside of your scope of practice, I always recommend referring out, right? So we're not all trained in desensitizing and integrating and reprocessing these trauma memories. Mm -hmm. And I think having a coach online is really beautiful because they're helping clients to witness their thoughts, to understand their emotions, to understand the sensations. So I say, find a therapist that collaborates and plays well with others. Mm -hmm. So often in trauma treatment, I'm working as part of a greater care team. So I might be communicating with a psychiatrist, maybe a primary care doctor, maybe a couples therapist. And I think having a coach in the mix is just one more person on that care team that is offering support to this individual. My recommendation would be to know what to look for in a trauma therapist. So someone who has some somatic training. I mean, this is obviously my bias, but some sensory mm-hmm. motor, somatic experiencing, EMDR, brain spotting, you know, the research really has a lot of evidence for these being effective trauma treatments. And to know that a therapist has to practice within their state. So know what state your client is in and refer that way. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about that, right? As a therapist, you have to be local, even if I know some people can still do it at a distance, if in the same state, right? Like working online, but you have to be in the same location. Right. And I think that's kind of one of the beautiful things of COVID is it's actually opened us up to more clients. So I work with clients across the state of Colorado and um, via telehealth. And I also, you know, I think it can be really beautiful and helpful to have the client in person too, but it definitely can be done um, via telehealth as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, as most of the coaches listening here, do work with clients from all over the place, but I think it's fairly easy to, you know, connect with a trauma therapist and, and for them to be able to find someone in different areas. I know for me, I feel like it's easy to find someone that specializes in this in any state for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there's, um, there's resources, you know, you can go to any one of these, um, like um, somatic experiencing or sensory motor or EMDR, and you can search by clinicians within your state. You can search on psychology today. There's a lot of resources out there to connect with somebody. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So Jen, one of the things I would love to hear from you is, and have a little bit of conversation about what coaches can do with trauma that's within their scope of practice. As I mentioned, you know, I had worked with a client who did have a lot of trauma come up and I found it so useful to help her to have just a little bit of space from her trauma responses and to kind of almost acknowledge that as happening without having it throw her completely overboard because she could have some space about it, right? Like the way she could view it allowed her to not be totally engrossed in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you're diving right into what coaches can do. And that is to help their clients develop this ability to be the witness 
of their cognitive, emotional, and somatic experience. Mm, yeah. And when we can have that witness online, when we can, you know, in, in the trauma world, we would call it decoupling. So oftentimes memories, emotions, thoughts, sensations, all kind of get jammed up into like one tangled ball. And so it can really help to kind of pull out these separate pieces and to let the client with radical compassion, with acceptance of the discomfort of the dysregulation of the hard to see the thoughts, to see the emotions, to recognize their behavior, to make friends with their adaptive strategy, right? Of understanding that all behavior is communicating and that they've done the best they could with what they had. Mm. So I think somatic approaches, you know, as I said earlier, can be incorporated to and in any modality. So I really want people to know that this is in addition to not in replace of all of the amazing skills that coaches already possess. Mm -hmm. So one of these things is helping, um, you know, safety and regulation. So the first goal in trauma therapy is really to help client reduce hyperarousal symptoms. So that kind of speaks to what you were talking about. Right, you were helping her learn to put the brake on this dysregulation, and that's mm-hmm. actually a prerequisite to any type of trauma processing. Right, the client needs to know I can put one foot on the gas if I want to go into it, but I also have the ability to put a foot on the brake and witness what's happening. If we don't have that online, then we actually can't process because it'll feel overwhelming, too intense, and can honestly be re-traumatizing to the client. Mm-hmm. So biggest thing that coaches can do is help clients develop that witness, right? So we know that the cortex goes offline during trauma. So we need to make sure it's staying online during that trauma reprocessing Mm, and helping clients to track their thoughts and their feelings and their emotions is a way to keep that cortex online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to just bring this too into like the LCS thought model, for example, in the way I think about it in terms of working with clients, it's like if we take this trauma response they're having and we plug it in as a circumstance, right? All the, that emotional response, I think as coaches, we can help our clients in how they think about that, right? How they're viewing it. Yeah. And what I like about that is in, in this way, we are getting curious, right? So we might not jump right away to like befriending this response or like, mm-hmm. you know, loving it or saying thank you to it. But if, as long as there can be some increased curiosity, some increased mm-hmm. awareness, right? Then that actually puts, like you said, a little bit of space between that stimulus and that response between the yeah. intensity and the client can know, okay, I am having this experience, but I am not just this experience. Yes, exactly. It's almost like if we if we put in, you know, the circumstance being, you know, the trauma response, all those emotions they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And if they are then thinking about that, I'm falling apart, I can't handle my life, right? Mm-hmm. That's when it takes the trauma response and they just all like spiral down, it compounds it. Right. Cause it kind of re-triggers that belief of overwhelm and loss of agency, yes. which is what we know is kind of the core component of trauma, right? Is feeling yes. powerless, feeling helpless, having a lack of agency. So anything we can do to help our clients have some agency, have some self-advocacy online is going to make a difference. Yes. Yes. Almost like, you know, if we were able to plug in and offer our clients 
ways of thinking about that trauma response, right? With the trauma response being that circumstance, like even things to just put a little bit of space, like, I know I can figure this out. I can get help with this or questions, right? Like, how can I put a pause on this? What do I need to create a feeling of safety for myself so that they are more taking ownership over that, giving some space, and then of course, you know, getting the extra support they need for it. Yeah. So that ownership piece, I think is really big. And also I think, you know, especially with trauma healing is that it's really a felt sense. It's really a sensation, sensorial experience of being in the body. So sometimes the thought is just, I'm willing to feel this right now. I'm willing to be uncomfortable. This is overwhelming and that's okay. So regulation, I think we talk a lot about regulation in both coaching and therapy Mm -hmm. as imagining that we're taking or diminishing the stress response. And really regulation is about how do we help clients stay connected to self in the Mm -hmm. midst of their dysregulation? Mm -hmm. So how do they stay connected and present with intensity, with overwhelm, with depression, with shutdown, with the senses that are happening in their body, with the increased heart rate, with the flush of their skin, how do they notice and be present so that they are bigger than the experience instead of the experience being bigger than them? Mm, yeah, I love that. Because I think those those feelings when they come up can, I mean, you use the word overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. They feel overwhelming. And I think also they can feel kind of unbearable. Yeah, right. And that can kind of be the hallmark of trauma too, right? Is that this is yes. unbearable. I'm unwilling to feel this. And then that's when some of those maladaptive coping strategies come in and rightfully so, because mm-hmm. all behavior is really just a way to try to regulate a dysregulated nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is so good. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear you also talk a little bit about articulate the difference between the top down versus the bottom up model. So a lot of coaching, especially the cognitive coaching in the life coach school is that top-down model, right? Let's focus on the thought, creating the feeling and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there is both a top-down and bottom-up way of approaching our work with clients. So soma means body and psyche means mind. And so somatic therapy is kind of the study of this body-mind interface. So it says, okay, yes, we have this beautiful brain that Mm -hmm. speaks to our body, but we also have this amazing body that speaks to our brain. Mm -hmm. So the brain is actually part of our nervous system. Right. So yes, we can talk to the thoughts. Yes, we can address the cortex, but we also need to address the limbic system, our emotional brain, our brainstem, our nervous system, and our body. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's kind of this continuous loop of communication that's happening between the brain, the spinal cord and the body, and then back up again. So you really can't tell where one starts and one ends, right? It's Mm -hmm. really separate. It's one. So they, we have this thing called the vagus nerve. It's a cranial nerve that travels from our brain all the way down into our gut. And it kind of branches off and innervates or connects to all of these different organs in our body. And you can think of it like a super highway where there's five lanes and there's one lane going from brain to body. And there's actually four lanes traveling from body up to the brain. So 
knowing that we have these four lanes traveling, taking all of this internal and external stimuli and taking it to the brain, right? It's just another avenue for intervention in our work with clients. So it's kind of like the walkie talkie between our gut and our brain. Mm, Yeah. So the reason why we work with the body in um, somatic therapy or in trauma therapy is because traumatic memory is stored in those subcortical regions. Like we talked about, it's in that nervous system. So oftentimes at the time of the trauma, our survival defenses, you know, we're familiar with that fight, flight, freeze, collapse, were thwarted. So just because we couldn't fight off or run away from um, the intensity, whether that was physical or emotional of that traumatic event at the time, doesn't mean that there's not an impulse still in the body, right? So we start to help clients have a lexicon for not just their thoughts, not just their emotions, but also their sensations, right? So maybe when they think about what happened or maybe even what they're struggling with in their day-to-day life that they're not consciously aware is connected with the trauma, Mm -hmm. right? So I might just say, stay with that tightness in the stomach, Mm -hmm. right? And when we can just be with the sensation, when we can just start to slow things down and help clients connect with their body, then we Mm -hmm. can start to use the body as an ally instead of viewing it as the enemy, Hmm. So oftentimes in trauma, we've been so overwhelmed that we live disconnected or dissociated, or we do all these things to try to get away from the intensity inside of our own system. And really the goal here is how do we befriend our body? How do we come back into the body? And how do we use movement impulses to create the survival or move through the survival defenses that didn't get to happen at the time of the traumatic event? Mm -hmm. So like one small example might be um, maybe a client, I noticed their tension in their legs, right? Maybe they're pushing into the floor just slightly as they talk about what happened, right? So we might just say, just stay right there. What do those mm-hmm. legs want to do, right? Or maybe there's just the slightest tension in the fingers. Maybe the fingers just come up just a little bit off their lap as they're talking about either the trauma itself or what they're experiencing in work or at home. Mm-hmm. We might just say, okay, what do those hands want to do right now? And slowly, mindfully, in a titrated way, we're going to let the body determine the next impulse. So maybe the hands needed to push. Maybe the voice needed to be heard. Maybe the client needed to scream. Maybe the legs needed to run or kick. Maybe we actually needed to reach a hand out for connection and support that we didn't get during the time of the trauma. Right. So we're kind of mm-hmm. letting meaning and these adaptive responses, these healing responses come from the body. Mm-hmm. When that happens, then that changes the emotional response, which changes our cognition. So mm-hmm. a top-down approach says our thoughts create our feelings, create our behaviors. Mm-hmm. A bottom-up approach says yes, but our sensations also create our feelings and also create our thoughts. Mm-hmm. The thing I love about this is even, even taking a case where, you know, I'm coaching a client who isn't necessarily having trauma come up per se, but they're having all those emotions coming up, right? It's almost like I'm coaching them and I can see, it's almost like they're brewing at the surface, right? They just yeah. are ready to spill out all over. <laughs> and and so it's like, and when I'm working with our coaches, this is when we want to remember, like talking to this client about their thoughts is never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Right. 
Like we can talk about their thoughts in circles, but it's not, nothing is going to happen unless you stop and you stay with what feeling is coming up. And so I think even, you know, for coaches listening, when you see your clients having those big emotions there and you can see that they're just right at the surface, just stop and take a minute and just like ask them, right? What's coming up for you? What are you feeling? And I am always amazed at how just creating a little bit of space for them to be with their body, feel those feelings, it's like it just, it calms everything down. And that's when you can access the brain. Yes. So, so beautiful. I love that you brought this up. Um, This is such an important point, right? So as somatic therapists, we are not just tracking clients' cognitions. And as a coach, right, we're, we're really tracking body language, um, emotion, uh, did the pupils dilate? Did the shoulder slump, right? We're, we're tracking prosody of speech. We're tracking all these micro movements. And you can, if you're really attuned, you can see when there's that emotion right below the surface, you can feel it. Mm, yes. And as soon as you contact it, it's almost like it gives permission for it to be there. Mm, yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Because they're try- a lot of times they're trying to dismiss it or push it. Right, down. they're trying to move past it, and it's like yes. actually, how do we make space and settle into it? Like mm, some sadness there, huh? Right, or what's yeah. that feeling right there? Something right below the surface, huh? And exactly what you said. As soon as we contact it, it's almost like the floodgates open, mm-hmm. right? They can have this response, and then to your point is when we're really in this emotional sensorial response, like that cortex isn't as fully online. So once mm-hmm. you can process through the emotion and the sensation, bring the cortex online, then the teaching, then the thought work, then those cognitive approaches are going to land much more effectively. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like the example I always think of is it's like for anyone who's ever had kids and you have a toddler that just has all these big emotions, right? Mm -hmm. And they're so upset and they're throwing this fit and they have this tantrum and we want to reason with them, right? We want to say to them, just calm down. Like, let's be reasonable about about this. But those emotions that they're emitting, they need to be heard. They need to come out, right? And so then it's like, it's, we can try to reason with the toddler, but maybe allowing the toddler a little bit of space to get these feelings out and have those feelings be heard. That's when the child can calm down and be reasonable. So I think of it the same thing with our brain when our brain is telling is like bringing those big emotions up. It's like this child inside. A hundred percent. And this is how I actually talk to parents, right? And even to Mm -hmm. adults, it can help us understand our own brain and our own nervous system. So is the upstairs brain online or is it offline? Are we operating from that downstairs emotional brain? And the beautiful part is that making space and allowing toddlers to have these really big emotions, Mm -hmm. right? And in the literature, we would say connect first redirect second. So by connecting with the emotion, like, oh, you're so angry, huh? Stomping, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. so sad. We actually teach emotional intelligence, which leads to better ability for that toddler to Mm self-regulate, right? So actually when we make space for the emotions, we help them regulate uh, later on. If we move right into teaching or correcting, it actually isn't going to land at all. Mm, Yeah. I think that's so important to remember that it's like you sometimes have to slow down to go fast, right? Like you Mm -hmm. have to slow down and be there and allow that in order for them to be more reasonable and learn what you would hope that they would learn. 
Yeah. And we're kind of like building the staircases to the brain, right? And this is creating integration between those lower brain regions and the upper brain regions, which is exactly what we're doing in this top-down, bottom-up somatic approach, right? Is how do we integrate these staircases? How do we integrate these experiences? And we do it for adults, just like we do it for kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's I long ago taught preschool and I worked with kids on all of their cognitive development. And I loved it. And I just, I'm so passionate about Mm -hmm. helping people with their brain development. And that was something I really loved. I was always interested in what activities would help their brains. And I feel like I kind of do the same thing now for adults. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. I do the same. I do the same. I bring play therapy and a lot of these concepts into my work with adults because we're really not that different. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So, oh, this has been so great. I want to, um, before I have you share how people can connect with you, is there anything else that you would want to share kind of parting words or big takeaways for the coaches listening? I think just coming back to that, trusting that you are the most important tool, right? And that for this work to happen, to be authentic, to show up as you, right? Because so much of our communication happens actually on this nonverbal somatic level, Mm -hmm. right? Clients can really feel us. And I think once we start to put faith in ourselves as being the most important tool, then we don't have to be so prescriptive. Mm. We don't have to show up with a perfectly thought out session. We're actually letting the interventions that we use happen organically, happen intuitively. We're co-creating what's going to work best for our client in the moment based on where they are in their nervous system, based on what they need. And then it becomes a lot more organic. So I think that's Mm. what I would like to leave people with today. Yeah. I really love that because I think that coaches are natural helpers, right? We care Mm. about people. We really want to help people. And it is so easy to let noise in our head get in the way of that, right? Where coaches are worried about the best way to do it and the right thing to do. And I think that honestly, the more we can tap into, oh, I remember now, I just want to help this person. I just want to love this person. And I can really connect with them and care about them that's where that relationship builds, right? And it gives that confidence that that you can help the client. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, you know, there's a common saying that trauma happens usually in relationship. And so mm-hmm. healing also needs to happen in relationship with this attentive, attuned, caring other. A lot of the time we show up in our own dysregulation, because we think we have to have the right answer. And what if we let that go? Like, what if there is no right, perfect fix, right? That we're, there's nothing to fix, right? We're actually just showing up, experiencing and willing to be with the client exactly where they are. We're not tied to a result. We're not tied to fixing. We're not tied to changing. We're just bringing more awareness and mindfulness and radical compassion to where they are, which paradoxically is what creates change. Mm, Yes. Yes. I love it. This has been so great, Jen. Okay. Tell the people listening here, how can they connect with you? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. So for my therapy website, if you're in the state of Colorado, you want to work together, you want to learn more, you can find me at jentaylorpsychotherapy.com. For coaches out there who want to learn more about somatic interventions and how to use somatic tools with their work with clients, you can find me at inbodiedwellness.com. That's I-N bodiedwellness.com. 
Awesome. So great. So nice to have you here. And hopefully we'll connect again in the future on some amazing endeavor together. Yeah. So appreciate you, Molly, and your coaching and your wisdom and just your mentorship for me too. So it was really a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for listening to the Masterful Coach Podcast. You can check out www.thecoachingcollective.com for info about the ultimate program for coaches building a business. To find out more about Molly, you can visit www.mollyclaire.com. Thank you.